Hello everyone and welcome to this, the debut episode of Cauldron Side Chats. I'm your host Jack Witch, Dr Witcher, and with NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver Night 1 officially behind us, WrestleMania week is well and truly underway. Before we get into things, I just want to talk about how great it was to hear some fans back in the arena. I know it wasn't many, but even that small crowd adds that level of depth that professional wrestling, even independent wrestling, needs. Because as great as the wrestlers are, the crowds are second to none. So, you know, the wrestlers are able to feed off of it and make their moves more impactful and the whole thing much, much more enjoyable for everyone involved. I can't even begin to imagine the range of emotions that they were feeling knowing that for the first time in what feels like forever, they are about to go out there and see some real fans live again. With that being said, it is time to talk about the matches. We're going to start where you always start, at the beginning. With the pre-show, Tony Storm versus Zoe Stark. They say styles make matches, and for me, this is a style combination that was always going to make a good one. You had the powerhouse Tony Storm, who really likes to employ the ground and pound style, versus the speed and high flying of Zoe Stark. Zoe is quite unknown, I'd say, in the NXT world at least, and Tony Storm has already made a bit of a name for herself, but kind of fallen off the radar to a degree. So I feel this match was important for her to try and re-establish her dominance. The two wasted no time really getting into each other's face with the strikes and trying to see if they could find some weakness in the other person's armour in the early going. But it didn't really seem like either person wanted to give up and give the other person any form of advantage. Uh, Tony remained true to her roots and just levelled Zoe as often as she could. Uh, and Zoe's main thing was she had, she had to be quick. She had to move and you could see that that worked well when she came off the top rope and delivered a stunning strike that took Tony down. Neither competitor was really able to get a solid and secure upper hand over the other because there were just counters going on all the time. Just when you thought Tony was going to get the upper hand, Zoe would pull out one trick and vice versa, Zoe trying to use her speed, but the strength of Tony just absolutely was unstoppable a lot of the time. Stark then pulled out a running knee, which as a finisher is quite good. You know, you've seen loads of people use it all around the world. And, you know, there's only so much that you can do to be unique. But everyone knows a knee to the face, universal, it's going to work. Sadly, Tony kicked out of it this time. But I believe if maybe Zoe preempted it with a big power move before, such as a suplex like she did attempt, and maybe went into it a little bit quicker, she might have been able to get the three count from there. But the power and resilience of Tony Storm really was the key to her staying in the match at that point. And when she lifted Zoe up for the electric chair face buster, I really thought that was a move that was genuinely going to get the win. It's not one you see very often, but maybe the cover really wasn't what it needed to be. Tony's cockiness possibly getting the better of her there. But even after Zoe kicked out, Tony didn't let her emotions get the better of her. She realised that now she really did have to take advantage, and there was only one shot that was really going to do that with Zoe in the state that she was. Zoe was not able to counter anything in Tony's eyes. This, however, did give Tony the perfect opportunity to hit her move that has won her match after match after match and titles everywhere she has been. She set Zoe up for the Storm Zero, and honestly, I thought that was going to be it. But Zoe's quick thinking and agility allowed her to roll up Tony Storm in a move that I honestly didn't see coming and get a surprise, I have to say, upset win. But even though it was an upset, it didn't take anything away from either competitor. Zoe was able to get the momentum from beating an established wrestler in the NXT UK and NXT brand. And the use of a roll-up for the win uh, allowed it to kind of play into Tony Storm's aggression if they did try to continue on the rivalry because Tony can use the knowledge that I nearly had you beat but perhaps I let my concentration and my guard down for a split second but trust me that will not be happening again. All in all it was a good match 
Uh, it happened on a pre-show, which often gets overlooked, but still managed to build both characters quite well. And I will be interested to see if they take this rivalry between the um, Tony Storm and Zoe Stark any further, or they'll end it there and maybe another person will get involved, or they'll both go to different opponents. It'll, it'll be interesting to see, but definitely two people to watch. And with that, we move on to the first match of the official NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver Night 1 pay-per-view. Uh, this was Pete Dunne versus Kushida. Now, this match we knew from the start was going to be hard-hitting. Uh, Pete Dunne is a wrestler that I have seen live numerous times. I believe actually one of the first wrestlers I ever saw compete live. He is pure intensity backstage to the moment he's in the ring. When his opponent's coming out, he never loses eye contact. And honestly, he's a technical genius and has to be one of the top UK stars. He's called the Bruiserweight for a reason, and it's a moniker that he has definitely lived up to, trying to break every opponent that he's in the ring with. Kushida is a wrestler that I feel has been massively underused in NXT. He is a great wrestler and just as technical as anyone you're going to put him in the ring with. He brings that Japanese strong style into the ring with him, but against the Bruiserweight Pete Dunne, he's going to have to rely on his athleticism and to try and stay away as much as he can in between holds because if he lets his guard down for a second he might regret it. This match again was another one that started off about as fast paced as you could expect. Both competitors were trying to lock in some kind of hold on the other person but they are both so technically knowledged that they could just counter out of each and every one and no one could really gain an upper hand in the early going. The match did eventually spill to the outside and as any UK fan will tell you that is where Pete Dunne is in his element. And that was made clear when he decided, you know what, I'm done with this grappling nonsense, Kushida. I'm going to X-plex you onto the apron and we'll say no more about it. Even though that did look like it would bring the match back into Pete Dunne's favour, the resilience of Kushida meant that he wasn't down for long. And the strikes came in instead. Was both men agreeing, you know what, grappling, it's not going to happen for now. I'm going to try and knock you out. And you could hear just the pure impact of every single strike that landed. And honestly, as a trainee wrestler myself, I can assure you that those are two people that, you know, as great as being in the ring with them would be, I do not want them to hit me. Because I know I'll be feeling that for the next several days. The strikes didn't last particularly long. Uh, they really went back to body manipulation and small joint manipulation, especially with regards to trying to break Kushida's fingers and just dislocate any limb that they could find because these two are two people that they don't want to be fancy as such they just want to go out there they want to hurt their opponent and they want their opponent to know who they have just been in the ring with both competitors utilize similar moves almost as maybe a form of one-upsmanship against the other to say anything you can do I can do better but then anything I can do you can't put on me and an example of this was when they both used a suplex type move into a cross arm breaker. Now the idea of using the suplex is good because it adds that extra level of impact to the move, hoping that when your opponent hits the floor they'll be too preoccupied in the pain shooting down their spine to worry about clasping their hands together to prevent you putting on the cross arm breaker. Sadly both men seem to apply their moves almost too close to the ropes because their opponent got there a lot quicker than you would expect. And I honestly thought this match was going to end a lot sooner than it did. Uh, Kushida had done on the top rope and a almost somersault hoverboard lock. Um, I do not know how Dunn's arm was not dislocated upon landing on the floor because that move looked horrific to take. But again, maybe it was an error on Kushida's part, a fortune on Dunn's part, but Pete Dunn was able to make it to the ropes and break the hold. The ropes, however, were not enough to stop either competitor trying to break everything possible on their opponent. And it was a very hard-fought match, which Pete Dunn eventually got the win in after hitting the bitter end. I do have to say, I believe that Kushida was out from the kick just before the bitter end, but if anyone has seen Pete Dunn wrestle on TV or in person, you know that if there is another opportunity to inflict pain on his opponent, well, he's definitely 
going to take it. A well-earned victory there. The next match on the card was a six-man gauntlet eliminator match to determine who was going to face Johnny Gargano tonight on NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver Night 2. Now personally, this was a match that I've been looking forward to since they announced it. Because the thing with multi-man matches is you can have so many intertwining storylines and personalities that it just makes for a much more unpredictable and interesting level of scenarios. Isaiah Swerve Scott started the match by again continuing to seek revenge on Leon Ruff for the matches they've had in the past and the fact that Ruff, even though he's the underdog, just refuses to stay down. The pre-match attack was honestly one that I didn't see coming, but with Swerve trying to get revenge and take out the high flyer, I mean, fighting them beforehand has to be the way to go. Even though the match hadn't started, you still weren't able to take your eyes away for a second because Ruff and Swerve were just so quick to hit counter move that if you did, you were bound to absolutely miss something. Although... Ruff's confidence definitely got the better of him. Uh, he's always been cocky, and that was clear when he tries to put Ruff through a table. Ruff was then able to counter with almost a springboard twisting cutter off of the edge of the table, taking Swerve out. But that was only temporary, as Swerve, once the match had actually started, was able to regain control. But again... It was his cockiness that got the better of him, because he went for a powerbomb and Ruff was able to use a Hurricane Rana to counter it, and honestly, potentially could have eliminated Swerve right there if Swerve wasn't careful. Bronson Reed's entrance was next, and although a lot of things have changed in the world over the last year, it's nice to see that the WWE and NXT Universe still are unable to count down to a live timer. They had got to zero, I believe the timer was actually still on one. That's been a constant thing throughout every countdown thing. You watch the Royal Rumble, every countdown, Elimination Chamber, they're never in time. I think it's just one of those things. I enjoy it, but nice to see it hasn't changed. Bronson Reed, to absolutely nobody's surprise, came in and just dominated with his pure power. And he was able to just catch the admittedly very small in stature, Leon Ruff, and just throw him wherever he wanted. And that seated splash, I believe they said it was shades of Yokozuna. Honestly, could have crushed Leon Ruff's internal organs with the amount of weight coming down upon his chest. And because of the power mixed with the speed of Bronson Reed, there really was no avoiding um, that splash for Leon Ruff. Isaiah Swerve Scott and Leon Ruff did try to put their differences behind them um, and double-team Bronson Reed just to give themselves a bit more of an advantage. But sadly, the powerhouse like that, he was able to suplex both men and really continue to establish that he has to be the odds-on favourite in this match. The fourth entrance into the match was Cameron Grimes. Now, for me, he is massively underrated and, again, underutilised. His gimmick at the moment, not necessarily my favourite. I mean, trying to go to the moon and all that stuff, trying to buy people off. No, it's been done. We've seen it. But he is very underrated. Um, he is a future champion, in my mind. And, you know, he tried to buy off Swerve Scott and it did work for a while to create a small alliance. Those two continued to work together to dominate for, you know, quite a large portion of the match. But first elimination, I feel it was justified. Isaiah Swerve Scott took out Leon Ruff. Now, to do it that way was good because it again built on the intensity of their rivalry. Like not only did Swerve attack Ruff before the bell, he also cost him his potential shot at the North American Championship. And Ruff is a former North American champion, beating Gargano. So we know that he can do it. And that is really going to be fuel on the fire if Ruff chooses to continue to pursue Swerve. Dexter Loomis was next to come to the ring, and he remains one of the creepiest wrestlers I have ever seen. Not because of anything massive, but dude does not blink. 
I don't know how he's done it. I went to watch his videos when he was again in another company, and I don't even think I saw him blink there. I don't think the man has any eyelids. But it plays in to whatever he's doing so well that I wouldn't even want to stand opposite him, and I can see why a lot of competitors would give him a pretty wide berth. We were treated to your typical big man square off with Dexter Loomis and Bronson Reed, two massive, massive powerhouses, and it didn't disappoint. The strikes were solid, and you never knew who was really going to get the upper hand. And then Cameron Grimes decided now is the perfect time to get involved. But sadly, that didn't work out very well for him in the long run, uh, because him and Dexter Loomis took a awful tumble to the outside. And honestly, I thought Loomis would have knocked himself out. It looked horrific. And I don't know how any man really got up from that. L.A. Knight was next out to the ring, and he reminded us of what truly makes him a great competitor. His promo skills. Now, we haven't seen much of it on the way to the ring with other wrestlers, really, lately. But he just does not care what anyone thinks about what he's saying. He's going to tell you what he thinks, and you're just going to have to man up and like it. Because it's not an insult. It is just a fact of life. Bronson Reed, in my opinion, quite rudely interrupted LA Knight during his fantastic On The Way To The Ring promo. And Knight had to become aggressive very quickly, and we all know this is something he is perfectly capable of. And maybe Reed underestimated him, because for a while, Knight did have the upper hand. But it's not just LA Knight's promo and his aggression that has got him to the point he is at now. He also has a fantastic ability for seizing opportunity when he finds it. He saw that Dexter Loomis had his submission hold locked in tight on Cameron Grimes. And, well, Ali Knight saw his opportunity, rolled up Dexter Loomis and managed to pin him, eliminating him but keeping Grimes in the match. Sadly, his momentum was not to last very long. Um, Fueled by their earlier altercation, Bronson Reed crushed LA Knight and managed to eliminate him moments later. The now seemingly short-term alliance between Swerve and Grimes appears to have come to an end when they all started to trade shots with Bronson Reed. Um, Very, very stiff elbows and forearms and it really did help bring the crowd back into it. Not that they really lost them, but it gave them that kind of rest with the minor cheering kind of seeing who is going to come out of this next bit with the upper hand. We were then treated to a triple down with thanks to a super kick, flatliner and splash combination from all three competitors still involved. And it's not something you see very often. Double down's very common, but triple are quite hard to do sometimes because there's an odd number of people. Everyone has to take each other out and it has to be realistic. And honestly, I just think it worked really well. We were then treated to a triple down situation, as it is now essentially a triple threat match, um, which is a lot more rare than the double downs that you'll see, because they involve a way that all three competitors can hit each other, but not so much that there's going to be someone left standing to take advantage. Um, you know, the way they did it with the super click, the flatliner, and the splash. It just worked really well and didn't overpower anyone and kind of made it realistic that everyone was in with an even chance of gaining advantage next. One of the highlights of this match came next uh, for me. Uh, Cameron Grimes' collision course move was finally named. Uh, It's the first time I've heard it. Apologies if it has actually already been mentioned on commentary before. It's the move where Grimes' opponent runs towards him Yet somehow Grimes is able to moonsault powerbomb them, or moonsault slam them. Either way, it's incredibly impressive. I had to re-watch it multiple times the first time I saw it. And I'm just glad that they finally called it the collision course, rather than just the, oh my god, what was that? All of a sudden he nearly gets the win. But Swerve and Grimes again proved there is no honour among thieves. Um, Their alliance officially over. 
Swerve and Grimes proved once again that there is no honour among thieves and their alliance is officially over as far as this match is concerned. Um, both men tried to eliminate the other um, with roll-ups and various pins and, you know, the dirty-handed tactic of pulling on the tights. Grimes tried it first. Unfortunately for him, he was unsuccessful and Swerve rolled through, taking advantage, pulling Grimes' tights himself and getting the win. Well, the elimination, I should say. Apologies, not the win. That comes soon. Bronson Reed continued to dominate Swerve. And honestly, I thought this match was over at this point. Bronson is about to go up to the top rope. Swerve is down, middle of the ring. We all know what's coming next. However, Bronson, after taking so much damage in this match, could not get up to the top rope quickly enough. And Swerve was able to counter with a running kick to the side of the head. Swerve then used the fact that Bronson Reed was higher than him to his advantage by climbing out onto the apron, grabbing Reed by the head and pulling him over on to the apron of the ring. Now, that's called the hardest part of the ring for a reason. The only part that's under that is a solid metal beam, almost like scaffolding. So for Reed to come down from a considerable height, to be fair, and hit his back square along that beam... Honestly, I wouldn't have been surprised if he didn't get back up. Swerve, obviously feeling a lot more cocky than he normally does, he has Reed down. So he goes up top and he nails, absolutely nails the 450. As Barrett said, possibly over-rotated, so couldn't cover Bronson Reed right as soon as he landed, which really he would have needed to do to guarantee the win. But Isaiah kept his composure and nailed not one, not two, but three house cool kicks to the side of the head. And, you know, anyone watching it would have assumed, there it is, that's the ending, Bronson Reed, done. But sadly for Swerve, Reed's toughness and resolve and desire to be North American champion kept him in the match. And after kicking out of the third house cool kick, Swerve really began to lose his composure. And this is where Bronson recapitalized. He was able to floor Swerve and then go right back up to the top rope a lot quicker this time. Swerve still completely down on the floor. Nail the, I believe they call it the spatula splash? No, tsunami splash, that's one. They say to get a spatula. But yeah, 300 pounds off the top rope straight onto Swerve and it is no surprise that Isaiah did not kick out and Bronson Reed will now be facing Johnny Gargano tonight for the NXT North American Tag Team Championship. As impressive as this match was for Bronson and indeed everyone involved, I don't think that Bronson Reed is going to get the win over Johnny Gargano. Um, Gargano has the way, maybe we'll see a bit of Dexter Loomis involvement, but Gargano's not above bending to the point of breaking the rules ever so slightly to get his advantage and keep his championship. We are now at the middle of the card and it is our first NXT championship match and this is for the NXT UK championship. Walter has held the championship for longer than anyone in the modern era. Uh, yes, that's because of current global events but Walter's coming into this match with a purpose he needs in my opinion at least and possibly his to prove that his reign isn't just because he wasn't able to defend it it's not just because there weren't many matches going on in the travel bands and all that stuff it's because he is deserving of a reign that will go down in history as possibly unbeatable but Champa is fighting like he says with nothing to lose He's coming in with the motivation of having that necklace that was given to him by his wife and daughter broken by Walter. And, you know, he has this level of intensity that he can tap into that I don't believe many other people, if any, have. Before we get into the nitty gritty of this match, I just want to say one of my favourite entrance musics in the entirety of the WWE and NXT banner is Tommaso Ciampa's. It fits him so well. It brings the level of intensity right up immediately the second you hear it. And you know that when that music hits, the words, no one will survive, 
coming at the start really emphasizes the mantra that Champa is about to come to the ring and pummel you with. But I digress onto the match. It was very unlikely this match was ever going to be anything fancy. You weren't going to see you're jumping off the top ropes, you're to the outside, that sort of thing. It's not going to happen. These two men are going to look each other in the face and just punch, see who gets up. And, you know, I think that's the kind of match that both of them excel in. This match is one that the crowd are already very invested in. Um, NXT put a lot of time and effort into video packages, promos, matches and everything just to build up the drama going on between these two and really emphasise that Champa has nothing to lose. Walter has everything to protect. And those kind of matches, honestly, always amazing in my mind. Champa seems to have the upper hand early. Um, being able to use his speed as well as his strikes to really stick and move against the bigger, much, much bigger, Walter. But arguably, again, Walter is very, very strong. Uh, he only needed one strike for every five that Champa hit and Champa was down. I believe there was a point in the match where Champa hit way, way over 12 clotheslines. I believe it was even closer to 20. And Walter was on his feet the entire time. And then Walter, a single chop, Champa was down. Walter's strikes proved to be so strong in this match that when they went to the outside to have one of their many, many brawls that they've had, Walter attempted to chop Champa's chest, but it hit the display cover of the announce table and literally snapped it in half with the poster coming off. The sheer force that was behind that specific shot honestly could have collapsed Champa's chest and the match would really not have lasted very long. But the wily competitor that Tommaso Champa is realised that that hand may have broke the table, but it may also have broke itself. And from then on, the hand really did become a target. And you could see why. Because Walter now had to adapt a lot of his moves. For example, he attempted a single leg Boston Crab, but he couldn't use his hand to lock it on properly and had to kind of tuck it under his arm. But obviously not being able to apply it properly meant Champa was able to break out of it quite easily. The crowd were constantly behind Champa in this match. Uh, that's really not a change from any of Walter's matches. He's never been one that the crowd have fully supported, but he hasn't needed it. And not to say Champa does need it, but he really does fuel off that emotion that the crowd give him. In desperation to try and get some kind of physical advantage, Champa really had to pull out all the stops. And, you know, Walter isn't one for going up top very often, and really neither men are. But Champa somehow managed to get Walter on the second rope and nail an absolutely ferocious air raid crash from that middle rope. And, you know, the impact of Walter coming down alone let alone with Champa on top of him as well, really, I thought, would have ended the match right there. The winding alone should have been enough to keep Walter down for three, but that is where the resilience of the champion came in, and somehow he managed to kick out. Champa proved in the match that his neck surgery was definitely a success, uh, somehow he managed to hold Walter's entire weight with Walter kneeling down on Champa's chest and do a neck bridge to avoid being pinned. And he did this twice, at least. And, you know, it's one of those things where you put your neck out at a slightly awkward angle. It's, it's going to hurt, especially once you've had surgery on it. But, you know, this is just the willpower, determination and pure amount of training that both men have gone through that have really allowed him to get to that point. Walter, however, 
did use his championship awareness to take advantage of the fact that Champa's neck was exposed. Because obviously when you have your head back, your throat, you, you can't protect it. And all Walter needed to do was simply just kick it. And honestly, you probably could have pinned Champa from there. But Walter then powerbombed him, released suplex and struck him again right in the chest. And that was all it well, I say all. That was the final blow in what was an incredibly physical championship match. And in true Walter's style, um, we didn't see Imperium at all in that match until right at the end. And only then it was on the ramp coming down so Walter could stand with them. And honestly, I wasn't even sure Imperium were in the country. Because you see a lot of the time with groups that the rest of them come down and get involved. But that's not what Imperium are about. They really want to keep the honour and sacredness of the ring intact. And they've, they've done it well. Very hard-hitting match. Uh, no one has anything to be ashamed of. Champa could use this to fuel him, but Walter remains and proves that he should remain NXT UK champion. The penultimate match of the night was a really nice change of pace. Uh, you've had a good bit of hard-hitting before, but now we're moving on to a triple threat tag team match for the vacated NXT Tag Team Championships. We have MSK, the High Flyers, who personally I'm not really a fan of, um, but that is purely because of a previous gimmick. It was one that I didn't really agree with. But as athletes, I can't take anything away from them. Just a team that really I haven't been able to get behind properly yet. You then have the grizzled young veterans. As an Englishman, I was backing these guys from the start, as I do every English competitor that's out there, if they're facing a non-English person, obviously. Um, my personal favourites, they are the Rough Houses. Um, again, one of the most recent tag teams that I've seen live. They, you know, you don't say anything to them. They will just hit you as soon as look at you. And then you have Legado... Del Fantasma. I know I butchered the pronunciation of that, and I will apologise in advance. Uh, Joaquin Wild and Raul Mendoza are a combination of both MSK and GYV. Um, they have a lot of potential, and I think really today they lived up to it. Definitely. NXT made a slight change to the way we'd previously seen um, WWE as a whole handle triple threat tag team matches uh, they were normally two men in one team entirely on the outside and with Edge and Jericho that worked well because they were able to come in and not be in the match for long and then win the titles but I think having it to be an actual triple threat match with one member from each team in really added again an extra layer and almost made it more enjoyable to watch Wild and Mendoza have a phenomenal range of Lucha Libre double teams. Uh, these are two people that have travelled the world. Uh, I don't know how much they really teams together outside of NXT. It probably didn't. But if they didn't, you can tell that they have really spent their time off working on the best way to try and take the other teams out. They used a great combination of high-flying, grappling and quick tags to make sure that no opponent could really gauge who was going to be coming from where, and it really helped them keep the advantage in the early going. Zach Gibson, however, was having none of it. Uh, him and James Drake, they did not care that these people were flying around and everything. They were just going to floor them, and indeed they did. Um, you know, every time someone tried to come near them, bang, down, you're on the floor. Drake did kind of let his emotions get the better of him. He got distracted by Wes Lee on the outside, which allowed Carter to tag out. And really, that, that was a very early turning point and something that GYV really needed to address going on in the match. In the early going of the match, it was almost only MSK versus Grizzled Young Veterans because Legado del Fantasma were laying in wait quite well and picking their spots as and when just to ensure that neither of them really got too tired out and the other team almost forgot that they were in the match 
um, they managed to take control as soon as they came back in and took down all four other competitors using a great combination of double team moves. And double team kicks was a great way of really trying to make sure your opponent stays down once you've hit him. Carter throughout the match took quite a lot of the impact from double teams and the high impact moves but throughout the whole thing his resilience and his toughness allowed him to constantly keep kicking out. But James Drake came in as he normally does and nearly stole the win after letting all the teams use up as much energy as was physically possible. Wesley basically acted like an Olympic gymnast at this point. Um, he was backflipping, head springing, you'd name it, he was doing it and he was annihilating anyone in his path. They hit a move, I don't know if it has a name. Um, it's their tag finisher where one of them, normally um, Carter, does a moonsault side on of his opponent which at first time I thought was odd but then Wesley pushes him and the impact sends him onto the opponent that's on the floor with additional momentum and I've seen them get numerous wins with that move and honestly thought that that was going to get them the win on that night but Grizzly Young Veterans being the team they are managed to stay in. As expected from a match like this with the three teams that you have it was very fast-paced back and forth, um, neither team being able to, again, gain a definite advantage for more than a couple of seconds. Because the thing about a triple threat match, as everyone knows, is yes, you might be fighting one person, but there's always someone else behind you. And if you haven't taken them out properly, you can't always predict where they're going to come from next. Um, and the turnbuckle drop kick that Wes Lee took to his hand while it was in the actual turnbuckle again made of solid metal none of the ring is faked or gimmicked to make anything easier um i honestly he could have broken his hand at that point and i would not have been surprised the match nearly ended with an msk tap out um i believe two grizzled young veterans uh, the submissions that were locked in were just insane and if it wasn't for Carter coming in as as hard as it was with him at all also being held um, and stopping Wesley tapping out by literally grabbing his hand I do think that the match would have ended there and then and you know I wouldn't have been surprised but that is the glory of not just triple threats but tag teams as well you always have someone that even if they don't want you to win if it's a triple threat match, they also don't want you to lose because they want to win. Now, after that, we had a bit of a lull for a couple seconds. And then stuff started to get real. You had the back jump splash and Death Valley Driver combo by Grizzle Young Veterans. And that was where, you know, they had someone on the back jumped on, splashed onto another opponent on the floor, and then nailed the Death Valley driver. And honestly, I really thought that could have been it. But, sadly, I mean sadly, it was not sadly, we got to see the entire match continue. And that was not to be, so each team kind of had to put their heads together and think, what else can we do? <laughs> and I'll tell you, they came up with some amazing ideas. Zach Gibson took Wilde up on his shoulders while James Drake it almost looked like he was leaving ringside but no he went back to the entranceway and he ran as fast as he could jumped off the ramp and nailed a clothesline making it a doomsday device onto Wilde and you know Wilde he could he was done MSK took out Mendoza with a reverse Death Valley driver with Mendoza's stomach facing the ceiling after taking a foot stomp to the outside. With Legato del Fantasma out of it, it just came down to MSK and the Grizzled Young Veterans. And, you know, it was a good, solid brawl towards the end. And MSK managed to eventually get the win by hitting their finishing move, the Rise. And that is a spinebuster neck breaker combination. And honestly, 
I'm not surprised. It got the win. It's a very, very good move. And as I said at the start of this match, I may not like MSK as such, but I have, have to give them credit. That match really... I'd almost say they were underdogs in it. Or maybe not after winning the Dusty Tag Team Classic, but, you know, the other two teams were very established and they held their own and obviously managed to get the win. So, well done to those two. And now we come to the main event of the evening. The NXT Women's Championship. Io Shirai, the champion, versus Raquel Gonzalez, the challenger. Gonzalez is a great up-and-comer and she has great power and skill but she also has the Dakota Kai in her corner and that is an element that you can't forget about because as we all know it's essentially two-on-one because Kai is not above getting involved in matches when it really suits her or her partner. Io Shirai is a dominant champion and has been pretty much since winning the championship. She kind of went from mid-card as good girl Io to main event caliber and with the push behind her when she had her change in attitude and became the Io Shirai we see today. Io Shirai's heel turn was a thing that I almost jokingly but semi-seriously suggested to a group of friends of mine while we were queuing up for a wrestling show one time several months before it happened and they all said that would be a stupid idea and you know there are probably some people that still think it is but I think she played into it well and you know she's been the high level superstar that she has become this match started pretty much how you could expect we barely got out of the ring announcements before the two were trying to just deck each other and Io tried to match strength with Raquel, but it just was not to be. Gonzalez is a bit taller, bigger, stronger, and she managed to get the upper hand at first. But Io Shirai, being the genius that she is, she doesn't have the nickname Genius of the Sky for no reason, was able to use her speed and her smarts to regain control over her underdog challenger. Raquel Gonzalez took a relatively nasty fall to the outside of the ring and Io was able to follow it up with a pretty impressive crossbody um, to again improve the impact and because it's on the floor it may have took that little bit extra wind out of Gonzalez. The match didn't spill to the outside for long until we saw the involvement from Dakota Kai. Sadly she got caught and that put the referee in a bit of a situation but he handled it pretty well. He wasn't going to end a match minutes in with a championship on the line by disqualification for outside interference. So he did the best thing he could have done, in my opinion, and just ejected Dakota Kai. Raquel didn't really seem too phased by this. Uh, she is someone that really doesn't need someone in her corner, even though she'll use them like if she has them. But she has the ability and the power to just get what she wants on her own. When the match did eventually return to the ring, um, Gonzalez was still in control and she has this move that is kind of a spin-out spine buster. She has them on her back and spins them over so they hit the floor, but she doesn't follow up. And I'm not saying it's a bad move, just for me it looked confusing and unfinished but it just seems to be quite impactful at the end of the day your opponent is still hitting the floor there's maybe a follow-up to turn into an official spine buster maybe who knows but she also used her submission powers for a gory stretch to really try and wear on all the limbs and joints of Io Shirai to try and get her into the position that she wanted Raquel Gonzalez again continued to use her strength advantage against the champion Io Shirai. Uh, she went for what was looking to be a devastating powerbomb, but the quickness of Io allowed her to counter it, getting Gonzalez onto her back and stomping hard into her chest. Io continued to use her speed to keep any advantage she had gained, which we all knew she would have to do. Um, she was able to hit a code red on Raquel Gonzalez and that's a move that I've seen get numerous wins. It's been very impactful 
But Io, maybe suffering from some of the effects of the earlier match, was unable to go into it as quickly as she normally would, and it took longer getting Gonzalez over. So maybe that played into the fact that she did not quite get the win off such an impactful move. Several submissions were used throughout the match, um, but it was clear if you've watched the previous weeks and what they've done to each other that neither competitor is ever going to tap out to the other. They would much rather break every bone in their body before they willingly give up. I mean, they've put each other through walls, into boxes, like storage boxes, everything. You know, anything to try and get a small upper hand going into this title match. And, you know, a rivalry of this much intensity, none of them are going to just give up. The match again spilled to the outside and the referee, he kind of washed his hands at this point. He was like, you know what, I'm not going to bother counting. I'm going to give them the space that they need. This match is too high profile. And Io kind of disappeared. Wasn't sure where she was. And then in true Genius of the Sky fashion, she appeared on top of the NXT skull. Nailing a phenomenal crossbody from an exaggerated 20 feet in the air. Gonzalez took the move really hard, but she she wouldn't stay down. She's got too much to prove at this point. You know, Io may be able to do all these fancy moves, but Raquel Gonzalez is fighting to prove, I believe, the naysayers wrong and prove that she belongs with the top, if not at the top. Raquel's aggression near the end of the match really, really started to come through. Not just physical, but verbal. There was quite a bit of trash-talking appearing, which isn't something I would have really expected, but you know, when it gets to this point in the match, and over the past few weeks you've done everything that you can, you start to question, what else do I need to do to keep you down? After a few more big, impactful moves... Io Shirai kept on kicking out. Um, Raquel Gonzalez voiced the only question that she still had going through her head. And that was, what do I need to do to keep you down? And within seconds, she had figured it out. She grabbed Io. She lifted her up for the one-arm powerbomb, a move that I absolutely adore. Slammed Io down. And made history by becoming the first women to hold the NXT Women's Championship and one half of the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. The definite turning point for me in that match was the single hand powerbomb on the outside. That's a move that you saw finished Io Shirai off in the ring. So combine that with the impact of the solid floor on the outside and you know if it was false count anywhere that would have been it there i'm very interested to see what nxt decide to do with both characters we've seen it normally that when a champion loses their title on nxt they go up to main roster is that particularly the right place for eo now who knows but right now all eyes are going to be on Gonzalez. She has proved a lot of people wrong. And I just can't wait to see what NXT decide to do with her now. So that brings us to the end of NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver Night 1. And in a matter of hours, in fact, six hours from the time I'm recording this, it will be NXT TakeOver Night 2. So I'm going to give you some predictions. I think Jordan Devlin is going to win the Cruiserweight Championship ladder match. I think he's got too much going into this. He was the original champion, and I just think he's got a lot to prove. I also feel that Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart are going to retain their tag team championships. Um, having so many short reigns at the start of a championship's existence can kind of be detrimental to its heritage, and also Moon and Blackheart are a new team. They might want to try and build them up a little bit more. We'll see. 
I like I said earlier, I do not believe that Bronson Reed is going to beat Johnny Gargano again because Gargano has too many tricks up his sleeve. He has the way on the outside, and there's just too many variables for me. The unsanctioned match between Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. I'll get into this next show. It's a match I don't really see the point in. Uh, I don't understand why they've broken the Undisputed Era up. However, it is a match that I am very much looking forward to. Uh, these are two people that hold nothing back when they're in the ring. They face each other numerous times outside of NXT. And I just... I can't wait to see what they do. However, you don't bet against Adam Cole. Adam Cole was the Undisputed Era. He held that group together, and for that reason, I think he is going to win. But the main event of night two. Karrion Cross versus Finn Balor. Cross has to win. He has a lot to prove. He already won the NXT Championship, and he got injured just like Finn Balor did, and maybe it's the curse of winning your first title, Balor first ever Universal Champion, dislocates his shoulder, has to have surgery, never really got a shot at the title again, I don't think. Karrion Cross wins his title, shoulder injury, he's got a lot to prove, but so does Balor. I just don't think you can outpower Cross. I do believe his time is up. And speaking of time being up, we have reached the end of today's podcast. Uh, I really do hope you enjoyed it. Uh, again, I have been your host, Jack Witch Doctor Witcher. This has been Cauldron Side Chats. I will see you next time.